Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. A few weeks ago, um, about a month ago, actually, the um, Southern Baptist Convention met met in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Adrian and I went up there for it. Um, and at the Southern Baptist Convention, there's always a lot of fights. There's always a lot of things to be discussed. And there's all, you know, there's thousands of people there. So there's about 4,000 different opinions about each one of those discussions. This year was much more than that because this year there were about 16,000 people there. And so that means there's about 23,000 opinions about those different things. Um, one of the controversies being discussed this year was how was the Southern Baptist Convention going to deal with critical race theory? Um, if you don't know, CRT for short, that's what I'm going to say. If you don't know what CRT is, essentially, it's a false way of viewing the world in which we all aren't equal. Um, you deserve more or less of a voice in society based on your gender, your race, or your sexual orientation. Particularly, if you're a straight white male, you should be moved from the highest levels of society to the lowest levels of society. Um, being promoted heavily in a lot of universities today. Of course, we know that is not true. Um, but a few months ago, a rumor came out that my seminary, Southern Seminary, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, was teaching CRT as biblical truth, teaching it as biblical truth. That is, um, the professors were teaching it in every class where the president was promoting it. That was the rumor. So it spread all throughout Facebook, all throughout YouTube, all throughout you know, Twitter and, and everything all over the place. And of course, people believe everything on the internet because they can't put anything on the internet that's not true, right? All I can say is I was a student at Southern Seminary for four and a half years. I didn't even know what CRT was until I graduated and had been graduated for a year. So if they're teaching it, they're doing a crummy job of it. But the seminaries all put out a statement that CRT is not a biblical position from their perspective, but that didn't satisfy some of the little trolls who um, have nothing better to do but make YouTube videos. So on Monday at the Southern Baptist Convention, the president of my seminary, Dr. Albert Moeller, was walking around the Southern Baptist Convention holding his grandson, you know, his six-year-old grandson, holding him as he walks. And some crazy person a member of a Southern Baptist church, approached him in the convention center and just started yelling at him. How dare you allow your seminary to teach CRT? Just kept yelling it to the point that Dr. Moeller's grandson began crying scared to death. But this messenger didn't, didn't care. He just kept going. He just kept doing this. Scared a six-year-old. 
into tears. That's despicable, and that's not the heart of Christ at all. But that's the Christianity of 21st century America. You speak the truth without love. You say what's on your mind, and you don't really care what other people think about it. You'll call out what you don't like, and you'll do it very rudely. And if that, to justify it, you'll say, truth hurts, people. If I'm going to speak the truth, it's going to hurt. You don't care if you scare a child in the process. You speak your mind, and you refuse to change your mind. You're right, and everybody else needs to get in line with you. That's not the love Jesus calls us to. I think you know that. He absolutely calls us to speak the truth, but to do it lovingly, to do it graciously. He calls you to, to meditate on his word and let that meditation produce in you genuine love. So Peter carries on this idea in 1 Peter in the next passage. Um, you remember we're talking about what it's like to live in exile, what it's like to live in a culture that is not your home, a place where um, the, the Christian church is being pushed to the margins. How do you do that? That's what 1 Peter's all about. What are the things that you champion when you're pushed to the margins? And so we come to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, and I'm going to read on into chapter 2. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You began as a single cell in your mother's womb. You slowly grew over the next days, weeks, and months, and approximately nine months later, your mother went into labor. They rushed her to the hospital, and you were born. You came out of the womb that day covered in slime and let out a cry. Your parents laid eyes on you, and your life, their, their life has never been the same since. That's how you were born physically. I think you generally know that that, how that happened. But how were you born the second time? How were you born the second time? How were you born again? Remember, that was, the, that was in verse chapter 1, verse 3. He's caused you to be born again to a living hope. He continues that idea in this section, that you have been um, born again, verse 23, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. So how were you born again? Each of us has a different story of how that happened specifically, but a few things had to be in place. You had to hear the word of God in some form or fashion, the, the, telling you the gospel, the news that you were a sinner deserving of hell, but Jesus came and paid the price for your sins on the cross that you can have eternal life if you will believe. The Holy Spirit had to open your spiritual eyes to this glorious truth. You had to take the step of faith. Stop trusting in yourself and your works for salvation and trust the work Jesus did on the cross. When all that happened, 
You were justified, you were forgiven of your sins, you were adopted into God's family, and you became an heir of the kingdom of God. You were converted and regenerated. You got a new heart with new desires. You were united with Christ. Now he lives his life through you. The Holy Spirit came and lived inside of you, and you were sealed for eternal life. Nothing can ever take away the guarantee that you will be raised from the grave on the last day. This is how you were born again. If that's not what happened, according to Scripture, you didn't experience that. All of this began with the word of God. Peter calls it the seed, the seed, the imperishable seed. It's the seed that conceives and gives birth to a saved person, the word of God. It's the seed that you put in the ground and and it grows plants. Farmers, how many crops will you have in your field if you don't plant any seed? Answer, none. None. Seed has to go into the ground for crops to come up, correct? The only thing that's guaranteed to come out of the ground if you don't plant seeds are weeds. I know, my yard's full of them. The word of God is the seed that goes into the ground for your spiritual life to come up. For your spiritual life to come up. This is why I want the word of God to be so prevalent in our worship gatherings. This is why I've worked real hard in our order of service to make sure the word of God is prevalent. That there's, there's something in biblical theology called um, the regulative principle. You don't have to remember that term, but, but essentially it's asking the question, what does the Bible say should be in a worship service? What should regularly be in the worship service? And, and it gives five things. First of all, we should read the word. We, we should read the word. First Timothy 4.13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. It's why I read Scripture when we begin, when I pray, and when we conclude. We're supposed to pray the word, pray the word. Our prayers should not just be a laundry list of random demands from God. When, when that's our prayers, we, it shows we see God as a genie or a vending machine rather than a father. True prayer is done that we might know our father better, and certainly we ask for things, but all that we might have better intimacy with our father in heaven. Our prayers should come out of the word of God. They should be filled with the word of God. We should pray in line with the word of God. We should pray for the things God wants in the world. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should pray for the things that the Bible says to pray for. We should sing the word. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He says, teach one another by singing the word of Christ in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. My question is never, what style of music is it? Only the spiritually immature gripe about music style. The, the, you would have hated the style of music Jesus and the disciples sang. You would have hated it. You would have thought it was boring because music style changes over the generations. Someday Tim McGraw is going to be on the oldies station. Well, let's be more modern. Someday Thomas Rhett is going to be on the oldies station. There's a lot of great hymns. There's a lot of great southern gospel music. There's a lot of great contemporary praise music. There's a lot of songs in those styles also that need to die. There's a lot of songs in those styles that have zero scripture in them and zero doctrine. The question is not, it's never for me, what is the style of music we sing? The question I ask is, are the songs filled with the word of Christ? Do the songs bleed scripture and doctrine? What do the songs say? And are they going to be good for our soul to sing? Preach the word. So we said, read the word, pray the word, sing the word, preach the word. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. 
It's Paul's charge to Timothy right before he dies. Preach the word, not preach opinions, not preach politics, not preach jokes, not preach life lessons, not preach positivity, not conspiracy theories, not inspiration. Preach the word. Open the Bible, read it, explain it, and apply it. That's what I'm called to do up here. I want to preach the word. Uh, it's, why, um, it's why I preach through books of the Bible, because I want to preach the whole word to you. I'll occasionally go outside of that and preach something, you know, not that's a book through the Bible. I did that a few weeks ago with marriage. But when I preached marriage, I preached Bible passages about marriage. I didn't come up here and say, all right, I'm going to give you six tips to have a good marriage today. Number one, make sure you cuddle on the couch. Number two, uh, make sure you go on vacation. Number three, make sure you have kids. Number four, you know, and back those up with scripture. That's not what I'm, that's not my calling. My calling is to open up the scripture and read it and tell you what God said there. Because he's the one that speaks, not me. He's the one who um, preaches to you, not me. He uses me to do that. A sermon not saturated with the word is not a sermon. It's some other faceless animal posing as a sermon. Five things, remember. Read the word, pray the word, sing the word, preach the word. And fifth one, see the word. This is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, the, the baptism is a picture of what God has done in salvation. The Lord's Supper is a picture of what God is doing, uniting his people together. Anything else? It can be in a worship gathering, but, but these are the things that are biblically important. Let's let God tell us how to worship him in his word. Why do we fill the service with the word of God? Why? Two reasons. First, it's what saves Second, it's what sanctifies. Sinners are saved by the preached word of God. The, the preached word of God. Uh, I love the testimony of Charles Spurgeon. He, um, he, he was walking one day, going to the church that his family went to. He was not a Christian at the time. He's walking through England, and a massive snowstorm hits. Just a massive snowstorm. And he um, retreats. He, he can't make it to the church because he can't see where he's going. He just happens to be by this small little Methodist church. He walks in the door and just decides to go to church there that morning. He gets in there. He sits in the pew. And he's freezing to death. The guy preaching that morning is not even the pastor. It's just some layman. The, the, the pastor's on vacation. And the pastor, stand, or the, the preacher stands up and just reads his passage. Uh, it was Isaiah 59 2. The, um, the hand of the Lord is not too short that it cannot save. I think that's it. It could be today is the day of salvation. It's one of those two. But, but Spurgeon is standing there, sitting there, and he hears those words, and he comes to Jesus. And he becomes one of the greatest preachers in Christian history just by the word. The word is what saves. The word is what sanctifies. You grow in your faith through the word of God. If you never intake the word of God, don't think you're going to grow in your faith. Some of you have been Christian for decades, yet you never read your Bible, so spiritually you're still a baby. Your Christian life depends on your daily reading of the Bible. You need it as much as a newborn baby needs milk. Read your Bible every day. Don't just read open windows. That's good, but don't just read that. Don't just read your Sunday school lesson. That's good, but don't just read that. Read the Bible. Open this book and read it. Just read it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you through his actual word. Don't malnourish yourself just reading books about the Bible. I read a lot of books about the Bible, a lot of books about theology, but they can never replace this book itself. 
Notice the contrast in verse 23. Perishable seed, imperishable seed. One of them perishes, the other does not perish. That um, what we plant in our heart through God's word is imperishable. It does not die. Everything else we plant in our heart dies. It's perishable. It's the simple fact that what you put inside of you will determine what comes up out of you. If you plant watermelon in a field, watermelon is what's going to pop up. If you plant cotton in a field, cotton is what's going to pop up. If you, you expect a pecan tree to grow pecans. I know I say that word wrong. I'm a northerner. Just, just deal with it. But you expect a pecan tree to grow pecans, correct? So what are you going to plant inside of you? What kind of seed are you going to put in your heart? Is it going to be social media? That is, you spend hours scrolling on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, and all the others. Statistically, 71% of Christians who actually read their Bible read it less than 30 minutes a day. On average, people spend 144 minutes a day on social media sites. So get this, even if we are generous with Christians that read their Bible for 30 minutes a day, every day, which is not reality, not even for me some days, like even if we are generous there, you read your Bible 30 minutes a day, you're on social media 144 minutes a day. What's that mean? That means that three and a half hours a week, you're in the Bible. 16.8 hours a week, you're on social media. Like that's almost one entire day of your week, 16.8 hours. So if you do that, who do you think you're going to be like? You think you're going to be more like Jesus or more like those angry people on Facebook who have an opinion about everything in the world? Or like those empty people on Facebook who have to post four selfies a day because they need people to like them to make them feel valuable? Or those crazy people on Facebook who think that there's a conspiracy behind everything. So the, um, the, the COVID vaccine had a microchip in it and they planted it in you so that now the government can track you anywhere you go as they type it out on this device that the government can track them anywhere they go with. You're not going to look like Jesus if you devote more time in putting something into your heart than him. Don't you know social media is perishable? You got to refresh that feed every minute if you, so you can find something new because the old stuff has already perished in your mind. That's why Peter says what he does in 24 and 25. All flesh is like grass. All its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Everything else perishes like grass. You mow your grass, the grass dies very shortly. The word of God remains forever, he says. What is the seed you're planting in your heart? Maybe social media. Is it possibly the news? Do you read your Bible for 10 minutes a week but watch Fox News for three hours a day? Don't be surprised when you sound more like Sean Hannity than Jesus. Do you know how I can tell if, if a person is like this? Their conversation is never about their own walk with Jesus. It's never about lost people they're trying to win to Christ. It's never about sins they're struggling with. It's never about what God is doing in their life. It's always, I can't believe what Nancy Pelosi did last week. Don't you know the news is perishing? The stories you watch on there are going to be old news by this evening. What's the seed you're planting in your heart? Is it TVs and movies? TV and movies? Are you watching six or seven TV shows all at once but rarely reading your Bible? It's proof you have time to read your Bible if you can fit seven TV shows into a week. Uh, I remember the days before Netflix, 
and before Hulu and Amazon Prime and all that, when you, when you actually had to watch TV when it premiered, do you remember those days? Like, like 7 p.m. on Thursday, you had to sit down in front of the TV to watch your show. And kids, um, this is going to blow your mind, they had these things during TV called commercials. That was when you got up to run to the restroom. Like, you couldn't pause it on Netflix. You had to go do that. And if you didn't make it back in time, your family's like, hey, it's on. You know, when I worked in high school, I worked at a pizza restaurant. Uh, we were close Sunday and Monday. Tuesday through Saturday is when we were open. Every worker got one of those days off. My day off was Thursday. Thursday, I loved it because my show came on on Thursday. So 7 p.m. on Thursdays, so I'd sit down and watch my show. I was off from work. We would schedule our life around our show. You remember that? I can't do that tonight. My show's on. My show's on. Don't schedule your life around TV. Schedule it around the Word and what the Word commands. Don't fit church in when you have a free Sunday. Let nothing else take the place of church on Sundays. Don't, uh, don't fit reaching out to the lost into your schedule. Make it a priority. Loving your neighbor is not something you've got to squeeze into your busy schedule. It's what you need to remove some things from your schedule so that you can do better. Don't you know movies and TV are perishing? They're perishing like grass. It's, it's why they keep making sequels to movies. Have you noticed? They, they, they can't come up with new ideas. They keep coming up with sequels because you've gotten bored with the previous one and you want more. Just this previous Friday, Space Jam 2 came out. Anyone remember Space Jam? One of my favorite movies as a kid. Um, if you haven't seen it by chance, let, let me briefly explain. Um, the Looney Tunes are invaded by aliens. The aliens are going to take over the world. They challenge the Looney Tunes to a basketball game. The aliens escape into our world and steal the basketball talent of all the best basketball players. Michael Jordan is retired at the time, so they didn't go for him. So the Looney Tunes suck Michael Jordan through the hole in a golf course to get him to play for them. Sounds completely crazy, completely loony. That's the point. It's an incredible movie. They had Space Jam 2 come out this week. I watched it. It was, I mean, it was enjoyable. It wasn't that amazing. The, the kids 20 years from now are not going to be thinking back on the nostalgia of Space Jam 2. But they've always got to come up with sequels because the old ones perish. I love Star Wars. I love superheroes. But here's the deal. I will not see every Star Wars movie and every superhero movie that is made because they'll still be making them when I'm dead. I will not see Star Wars Episode 34, because I'll be dead. Because they perish. They perish. They need more. They need more. They, all flesh is like grass. All movies and TV are like grass. All news is like grass. All social media is like grass. The Word of God remains forever. It's the only thing that lasts. What is the seed you're planting down in your heart? There can only be one. Only one seed you plant in your heart. It must be God's Word. It must, be, you must get in God's word until it gets in you. John 15, 7, if you abide in me, my word will abide in you. The way you abide in Jesus is through abiding in his word, in his word. It's not through something else you define it as, it's abiding in his word. That's what he says. You need God's word inside of you so strongly that if, you, if they cut you open metaphorically, they wouldn't get anything but scripture. You need God's word in you so that when you have conversations with people, your go-to topic is not the weather, it's not sports, it's not politics, it's the word. It's the word. You've got to discipline yourself for this. You must discipline yourself to read his word. It doesn't happen naturally. It takes work. So for most of my life, I've 
I've strived to maintain a healthy lifestyle, um, you know, exercising and eating right. I've, tr I've strived to do that since I was like 12. I go in and out of seasons, though, where I'm doing really well at that and not doing so well at it. I go in and out of those seasons. Um, a few months ago, I was in one of those seasons really well. Um, it's been a busy summer, so I'm not as much in it right now. But here's the deal. When I'm in one of those seasons where I'm living really healthy, I mean, I'm exercising three or four times a week, I'm eating right, like all of that, I crave healthy food. I crave it. I don't crave laced potato chips. I crave, like, you know, vegetables. Like, I, I, I eat carrots for snacks, not, not um, Doritos, right? Because I've been eating it a lot. My body has developed a taste for it. Inevitably, though, what happens is I fall off at some point. I get sick or I pull a muscle or I have a busy time at work, and I don't have as much time to exercise and maintain a healthy diet. And so what happens? I lose those cravings. And I start thinking, man, I'm hungry. I don't feel like you know, cutting up a bunch of vegetables and peeling carrots and peeling potatoes and all that. Lay's already did the potato peeling for me. I'll just grab the, I'll grab the wavy Lay's out of the pantry and eat that, and that'll fill me up. And it takes a lot of discipline for me to get back in to that place where I'm eating healthy again. It takes a lot of work. It takes a month at a time of me saying no to the unhealthy food and yes to the healthy food. And eventually I'll get back there. When you start reading God's word, it's going to feel like trying to go on a diet if you haven't done it before. You're, gonna, you're not going to want to read it. You're not going to want to. But after you discipline yourself to do so and meditate on it every day, after a couple weeks or maybe even a month, you're going to crave it. You're going to crave it. Your soul is going to cry out, I need his word. I can't do anything today until I get in his word. So discipline yourself for it. Discipline yourself. If you're going to thrive as a Christian in a culture increasingly hostile to Christians, you must live in God's word. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. When you do this, remember back 20, well, verse 22, this passage kind of all ties together like a plate of spaghetti, like all the noodles are tied together, like having purified your soul by obedience to the truth, to his word, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, and then it explains how that happens in, one, in 2, 1 through 3, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander, and like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, the word of God that by it you might grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, if indeed you're actually saved is what that means. So this is how it works. You plant the seed in the ground, your heart, you, you, you plant the seed in, in, your, in the ground of your heart and something grows. What grows? Verse 22, sincere brotherly love. Sincere brotherly love. We see three things about this kind of love in 22. First of all, it's sincere. Love that is sincere grows when you plant the word in your heart. That is, you're not faking it. You're not putting on a show. You are truly loving someone because that's what the word is teaching you to do. Second, this love is earnest. Sincere brotherly love, loving one another earnestly. It's earnest. You're really serious about it. You're really serious about it. It's not something you, you um, will get around to doing if you have time. No, you're compelled by the word to show love to others, and you can't help but do it. It's sincere, it's earnest, and finally, it's pure. 
Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, verse 22. From a pure heart. That is, you have no ulterior motive. You're not doing this to look good. You're not doing this hoping they're going to pay you back. You're not doing this, you know, so you can take a selfie and get a bunch of people to tell you how awesome you are on Facebook. You're simply concerned with how can I serve you, expecting nothing in return. That all comes by allowing the word to be planted in your heart so that something incredible can grow. What the church needs in the world where they're exiles, where they're on the outside, is not, we don't need to be able to win an argument and shut down a liberal. That's not what we need. We don't need our preaching to be really relevant and hip and sound like a TED talk. We don't need that. We don't need to update any of the doctrines we believe. We don't need our pastors to wear skinny jeans, even though I have a pair by accident. Ask me that story later. We don't need a ton of money or a giant building or anything like that. All those, those things are good. In this world where the church is exiles, we need to love. We need to love. We need to love our enemies. We need to love those in the church. John 13, 35. By this, the world will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He's speaking to the church there. That the world will see that we are disciples of Jesus by how we care for each other in the church. The world needs to see the love of Christ in the church. They don't need to see some moron at the Southern Baptist Convention yelling and scaring a six-year-old to death. They don't need that. You know where I heard that story? Not from somebody at the convention, from the New York Times the next day. The New York Times found out that that happened, interviewed all the people who saw it, and just ran the church through the mud in New York Times because they love to do that, right? Let's not give them any fodder for that. Let, let's love each other in such a way they've got nothing bad to say. They don't, need, they don't need to see that sort of thing. They don't need you to give them a piece of your mind. They don't need you to share like the latest meme going around Facebook. They need you to love them, to love them. The world needs biblical love, not love as the world defines it. That's one of the biggest problems. The world knows Jesus says you're supposed to love, but then they let the 21st century culture define what that love actually is. We love as the Bible prescribes it. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. That's what love is. Love, as the Bible defines it, is laying ourselves down for each other. To set aside your own personal ambitions, your time, your money, your opinions, your attitude, your ego, to lay down your life for others, to put them above yourself, to seek their absolute good in everything. This is why people who come to church and expect all their preferences and opinions to be met are a cancer to the church. We don't gather here to worship them. We gather here to worship Christ. And as we behold his cross, as we sing about his death, as we, as we hear about his death, it changes us to love as he loved us to do that. It equips us to lay down our lives for each other because he laid down his life for us. The world needs to see that love more than ever. They need to see that love more than ever because our world is all about hate. They say they're all about love, but you can feel the hate in our culture better than you can feel the humidity outside right now. You can feel it. And what will shatter that more than anything is biblical gospel love. 
love like Christ gave. The love Christ gave on the cross shattered the hate of those around him and changed the world. Let's continue his legacy in that. It starts with the seed that you plant in your heart. It, it leads you, verse 1 of chapter 2, to put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, and then to long for his word that we may grow in love more and more. You long for the milk of the word. This isn't one of those passages that says that, you know, if you, if you aren't spiritually mature, you only want milk and not solid food. It's just saying you're going to long for the word the way a newborn infant needs milk. Like that, that's, that's what it's saying. It, the, the child that longs for that milk is going to grow up into an adult. You must grow in your faith in the same way. The sure sign that you truly know Jesus is you're growing in your faith. The true sign that you've been born again is that you're growing. If you're not growing, there's something wrong. Because just as people, when they're born from their mother, grow, Christians grow in their salvation. How do you know if you're growing? Let me just ask you a few questions. I want you to think about these in your heart and diagnose yourself. How do you know if you're growing? Is your love for Jesus increasing? Are you coming to love him more and more day by day? Are you coming to understand his word more and more? Is your prayer life getting better? Are you fighting war with sin in your life, or are you just letting those sins be? Are you serving in our church? Are you learning more and more about Jesus? Are you trying to reach lost people in your life? I could probably ask more, but just diagnose yourself with those questions. Which one of those that I named do you need to grow in? Do you need to strive to grow in more? Maybe your answer is no to all of those. You're not doing any of those things. Well, then there's one of two solutions. Number one, you are not born again. So come to Jesus, come running to him and receive that new birth. Come and receive him by faith and be born again. I'd love to talk with you about that today. If that's where the Holy Spirit is prompting you, come up here and talk with me or talk to me at the door. But Perhaps you are saved and you just aren't growing. What do you do? You plant the seed in your heart. You get in his word and plant the seed. You need the word to get down deep in your heart. You've got to read it. You've got to meditate on it. You've got to get in the word until the word gets in you. I urge you to do that. Don't go home today and watch Jeopardy or watch the news or watch Netflix. Don't go home today and play Candy Crush until Sunday night church. Go home and get into the word and devour it. Go home and get into his word. Perhaps you haven't done our church Bible reading plan. There's still some on the shelf out there. Grab that as you go. In our Bible reading plan right now, we're in the middle of Isaiah, so maybe that's not where you want to start. So perhaps you go home and just start reading John or Mark or Romans in the month of August, you'll hear a bit more about this next week. Um, in the month of August, I'm planning to challenge you. I'm going to take a challenge um, known as the First John Challenge. I'm going to challenge you to join me in that. The First John Challenge is simply this. Read the book of First John all the way through, 30 days in a row. It's five chapters. It takes about 15 minutes to read. If you put 15 minutes of time in a day, you can read through First John in a day. Read through it 30 days in a row. There's something that happens when you read a book of the Bible 30 days in a row. I'm going to take that challenge. I'm going to invite you to, um, to be a part of that. So be here next week. You'll hear more about that. If you have questions about the Bible, come talk to me. That's why I'm here. I'm here to help you in that. You need the word. 
You need God's word. As sure as a baby needs milk to survive, you need the word to survive. You will not last in American exile without the living word of God. Let's pray. Father, your word is good. It endures forever. Lord, it will last far beyond anything else in this world that we give our time to. It will last. And so, Lord, why would we devote our our time and energy to things that are fleeting? Lord, why would we give our life to things that don't matter? Lord, make us students of your word, lovers of your word, and may it be the seed that plants in our heart to grow an entire orchard of sincere brotherly love that we may thrive in American exile. In Jesus' name, amen.